On this episode of the Trauma-Informed Podcast, we have Denise Bosart, an award-winning author that just released a new book called Thriving After Sexual Abuse. We take a deep dive into the story behind the book. So I, I grew up in a family of two kids. My dad was a medical doctor and my mom had her own business. And from the outside, it looked pretty normal to people, maybe even a little envious to, to some but unfortunately, behind the scenes, there was abuse happening, and it was by my mother's father, my grandfather. And it happened when we would go spend summers at my grandparents' house. They had a house on the lake, and the cousins would gather. We would swim. We would boat. We would ski, and you know, lots of exciting, fun things for kids to do during the summer. But unfortunately, it was also where I was abused, and it was in a, a workplace that my grandfather had set up in the basement, and that's where the abuse would happen. And when I was a kid, I was, I started, when it started, I was very young. I was in elementary school, very young, and it continued until he died when I was a freshman in high school. And when it was happening, I was too young to be able to process that. My brain was not developed enough. I didn't really understand what was happening. And part of me just shut down so that I wouldn't actually have to remember the things that were going on for me. I do know I was terrified of my grandfather and I never wanted to be alone with him, that he was just a scary person. And even though I consciously couldn't verbalize what was going on, I did have that feeling. And even at the Thanksgiving dinner table, I didn't want to sit next to him. That's how afraid I was to be by him or near him at any time. And, you know, normally we're talking about people who are supposed to love you. You know, grandparents are supposed to be the, the, the love, the, the kisses, the hugs. And it was the exact opposite. Sure. And you mentioned about how you you acknowledge how that sort of shaped your personality and made you a little bit more less trustful of, of people in the world. Right. And it, it happened when I was really learning about the world and how I would fit in the world, what I should expect from the world. You know, you're that young. That's what you're starting to learn. And what he did to me and how he treated me taught me the world wasn't a safe place, that people that are supposed to love you, take care of you and hurt you. And so that just kind of like got into my DNA almost of foundationally what I was going to take with me to understand how to interact with the world and other people. I had no trust of even not only strangers, but people that you should be friends with, you know, or, or be intimate with. And it, it just really changed my personality from being outgoing, loving, you know, huggy kind of kid to this total introvert. And from there, I just knew that I just had to take care of myself as best I could and not to trust anybody. And so that, that went on until he died when I was a freshman in high school. And that's when the memories came out. That's when I started having flashbacks and body memories and was just overwhelmed. Was, and was, how, how did you cope with it then in high school? I didn't <laughs> really. I just basically, I, I had always gotten positive feedback by working hard and doing well in school. And I really threw myself into classes taking honors classes and I was busy in band. I was the drum major. I played basketball, whatever I could do to keep my mind so busy. I could not spend any time thinking about it. It was there underneath the surface festering, but I just had too much shame to tell anyone. I was afraid to tell anyone. And there was a real missed opportunity because I had, my grades started to slip a little when my grandfather died and everything started coming out. And I had one history teacher who saw my A go to a B plus and she berated me about being lazy <laughs> instead of asking me what was going on and wow. maybe revealing all of this. this missed opportunity there for sure. But 
that was how I coped was by just just keeping busy. And that went on until I got into college. And then I started dating someone who was a recovering alcoholic who was going to, in, to the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And he was really the first one to encourage me to get some help. He got me to go to the counseling center and find a therapist through the university. She got me connected with a women's group. And that was amazing because it was the first time I'd really talked to women and these were women of all ages, all backgrounds. Some were incest survivors, some were sexual assault survivors, and they were in all different paths of their healing and all different places in their healing. It was very, very helpful to do that. And I also got to survivors and incest anonymous meetings, which that one, the one I went to had both men and women. And in fact, there was a man there who was the age of my grandfather when he was abusing me and he had been abused by his mother. And that was just shocking to me that this happened to men. I just didn't understand or know about that. So all of these things were really critical to move me forward in my healing journey. And you mentioned yoga was being a uh, transformational practice for you. Sure. It, it really was. So all of that talk therapy and, and being in the groups helped to a certain point, but I wanted to go deeper in my healing. And one of the things I started looking for was just what could I do? I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have a something that would tell me what questions to ask, where to go, what to do. So I just started exploring and found yoga and started the practice. Now, it was hard at first. I didn't immediately get the transformational results from yoga because I was scared in some of the poses. I felt very exposed and vulnerable. And I had a male teacher, which was a bit of a challenge at first, but I actually sat him down and told him what was going on with me about my history. And sadly, he had a sister who had been abused. And so he understood and he was very accommodating about helping me figure out alternative poses. In this style of yoga, it's very common for them to do healthy professional adjustments of the students. And he agreed not to do that with me until I felt safe. And so slowly over time, I stopped dissociating from my body. I stopped hating my body and I learned to be present and kind of process and some of those body memories, some of that stored energy memories in your body and was releasing all of that and learning to love my body, to appreciate my body, to trust it because I felt my body had betrayed me. It, it didn't, but that's what it felt like to go along with the shame was this feeling that my body had betrayed me. And so yoga helped me get through that and to get beyond that and really come to a place to be comfortable and happy with my body. And uh, yeah, so I looked at your, your educational background, that you have a background in, in computer science and technology, and then the, the, uh, the neuroscience. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I had one of those kind of winding career paths. <laughs> you know, I got into science because I always was a very curious person. I wanted to understand how things work and eventually got into neuroscience research again, because I was just fascinated about the brain and how it processed. And we've learned so much in the last few decades about how plastic our brain is, how we have neuroplasticity and we can actually leverage that. And so doing talk therapy, doing yoga, doing particularly like meditation, which is another practice that I did, you're literally learning to rewire your brain and change how you think, how you approach the world. So I talked about my worldview of being afraid of the world and it wasn't a safe place. And so going through the talk therapy, yoga and doing meditation, which helped me specifically stop hearing my grandfather's voice and all the negativity and shame and not necessarily listening to that perfectionist voice that I had developed to kind of counter that, but to really 
get some silence in there and hear my authentic self and be able to be in a place where I wasn't defined by my abuse and wasn't in reaction to my abuse, but was just being present. And I think all of those things together were working to restructure, literally restructure my brain and help me with the behaviors that I wanted to move into. I was consciously saying, I do not want to behave in this way anymore, to be afraid, to be reactive. And so I was doing all these things in addition to affirmation sticky notes all over my mirror. I was doing all these things to try to through introspection, I identified what I didn't like, and I was trying to shift where I wanted to be. And, well, I, I noticed you wrote an article in Psychology Today about the uh, the vagus nerve. And, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a good point you make about how the, I've heard that before, how the exhalations, longer exhalations activate the uh, the vagus nerve, right? So- right. So, if, if people may be more familiar these days than in the past, but if you're not familiar, you, you have two kind of balancing, opposing systems in your body, nervous systems. You have the sympathetic and parasympathetic. This sympathetic is get you going get you ready to move forward, energized. And then the parasympathetic is the calming, taking care of the background needs. And so there's a balance between those. And through meditation and breath work, as you mentioned, a a shorter inhale and a longer exhale, continuously practicing that, you're leveraging your body's normal way of, of being and the systems that you have in place that you're just tapping into those. So you're tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system, the calming nervous system. And what I like about breathing techniques is that you can do that anytime. If you're experiencing a triggering event or you're having flashbacks or you're just really ramped up with stressed out, it's something that's right there in your body. You just take a moment and you just breathe in and then breathe out longer and you just repeat that. And then you've got a technique that can help you in any situation. And what, what was your focus of your work and your, your doctoral work? I was actually at the gene expression level. So I was at a molecular biology lab. And so we were looking at gene expression and the control of gene expression. So it was pretty far away from (laughs) a sort of therapeutic situation. But that's how I was that curious about how things work that I really wanted to understand some of the mechanisms that even some of the most basic concepts of neurobiology. Yeah, but, but I mean, there's some overlap. I mean, I I, I was I have haven't really been paying attention lately, but 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 I, a couple of years ago, I was very much engrossed in trying to find look at the latest findings and some of that with regarding trauma and resilience. And yeah, I mean, I've seen things like the there's a lot of different like associations like telomere length and, and trauma and all kinds of stuff like that. But yeah, there's some there's some actual physical impact trauma. People think of trauma as being just often mental impact, you know, it's mental, it's physical, it's emotional, it's down into your cell level of of recording those experiences. And then the more people research and investigate that, the more widespread the impact is. And I think that approach that I took that wasn't just talk therapy, that was meditation and yoga and creative arts and being in nature, all these things I describe in my book, you're tapping into the different layers and the different aspects that you need to heal all of that. And uh, you mentioned in the book, and I, I mean and that uh, I, I'm wondering wh- how you think uh, or your experience how animals can be helpful for, for. Oh, absolutely! For me, I'm very much an animal person. Animals to me represent unconditional love. You know, you you have some responsibility towards them to take care of them, make sure that they're fed and watered, and you know that they're. Uh, getting the attention they need, but what they give back to you in return is just unbelievable. It's so healing to be to feel safe. Here's this creature that just accepts you 
and you feel safe with and responds to you. If you have a dog, if you have a cat, even if you have a parrot, there's an interaction and you're learning to trust and be feel safe in the presence of another being that is relating to you and just that love. Because for survivors of trauma, you just need to feel that you can trust and be loved no matter how you present, no matter you know what kind of crappy day you're having or good day you're having. The animals don't care. Yeah. They show yeah. up for you every time regardless. Yeah, I don't know if you, well, he, he passed away recently. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the guy, this uh, rapper DMX. Did you hear about him? But I mean, I think one of the interesting things about him is, is that, well, that, uh, well, he told, he told this story in a podcast a couple of years ago that, that going back to the betrayal trauma that, that, that he had some mentor they looked up to that basically gave him a, a joint of, of cannabis that had crack in. And he said that mm-hmm. he was really annoyed that the guy looking back on it, he did it like he sort of tricked him in, in, into that. And, but, but the other tie-in with him and the animals is that he talked about in, in his life that he was sort of a homeless um, young person that he found like love for animals and that he he was he would talk about that too. But yeah, that's something I don't explicitly talk about in my book, Thriving After Sexual Abuse. But I think it's a good point that it's a resource for people that is is something that everyone could have an opportunity to explore. Even if you don't have the means to maybe have your own animal, you could volunteer at an animal shelter, or there's many ways that you can find ways right. to connect right. with animals. And, and we know how impactful animals are, because look at the, the, all the different therapy dogs, the service animals, the equine therapy that they have. Right. There's a real right. recognition of, of the healing power of animals and being with them and interacting with them. So I think that's a, a great way to, to work on your healing as well. And so what, what led you to, to write this book? Yeah, it was kind of a long process, actually. So I mentioned the yoga. And when I first started doing yoga, I just cracked open. I just started writing a lot of poetry about my views. Now, I've always been creative. I've written short stories and poetry my whole right. life. When I was a kid, it wasn't obviously about the views. That was too locked down for me. But with yoga, it just was an explosion. And I just had to write about the the experience, the emotional experience and the fear and all of that. And as I started going through yoga and healing, the poetry changed to be more about my healing journey and that experience. And my husband was like, you should really publish this and get this out there. It would help people. I'm like, honey, who's wanting to read a bunch of poetry about abuse? I don't think that people are going to want that. And again, I mentioned being uh, having a trauma brain that I don't have a lot of memories and the memories I do have, it's very difficult to align them with the timeline of my life outside of the abuse. So I couldn't write a memoir. I just didn't have enough to put that together. And so I convinced myself I didn't have anything to share. But recently in the last few years, when it came out about Dr. Larry Nassar and his abuse of what, 200 more gymnasts, it just, it cracked me open and a light went off that I said, okay, I don't have, a memoir in me, but what I do have is my experience of healing. I can describe my story. I could tell people about what I had done, how it had helped me, and then I could sort of guide them, you know, be a, build a blueprint for them to try things. And so that's where the book idea came from is, and how it's structured is, is you know, I give you my story and then I'll tell you how yoga helped me. And then I'll give you some questions. I ask you to grab a journal and have the reader be really 
interactive with how they're engaging with my book. I'll have them answer the questions to try to figure out what's going to work for them. So I don't give a, a 30 day guarantee. I don't give a seven step program. You know, that's not what my book's about. My book's about is inspiration, giving examples and asking people to really engage in and figuring out what's going to work for them. Right, which, which is great. I just forgot. I had a thought that I just. Oh, the uh, yeah, the Larry Nasser. The did you watch the the Netflix uh, the documentary about him and all? Or? No, I'm I'm not quite ready. Yeah. I've, I've thought about it, but I was just when all of that came out, I was still in the middle of writing my book, and I just thought, right. you know, I'm not ready to do that and keep writing my book because writing the book was intense, as you can imagine. It was therapeutic in its own way, yeah. but. I, I've written fiction in, in the past and been able to set a schedule and just write a chapter every weekend or whatever it was. And I went into this project of writing this book. I knew, had the outline. I knew the structure as far as share and, and write questions and each topic I wanted to touch on. But when I started writing, I had this immense fear come up. And ironically, most people would say, well, you were, were you afraid of sharing your story? And it wasn't the sharing part that I was afraid of, I was afraid of if I could write it well enough. I was afraid of okay. if people would like what I said in general, if, if it would be helpful. You know, I had, I had already shared a little bit with, with my family and friends and I had actually, you know, shared some poetry out. So the sharing piece what, and sort of announcing it to the world was a little bit of fear, but most of it was, can I do this justice so that I can help people? And eventually what I had to do is say, forget the schedule just write what you can. So I actually, in each of the chapters, started with the questions for the readers because that was easy. And then I went back and I wrote the piece of my story for each chapter. And I didn't do it linearly. When I wrote my novels, it was one chapter at a time progressing through the book. And here I had to jump around with whatever I was comfortable at the time to write. And the last piece is actually the very first part you see in the introduction, which is my full story. That was the last thing I wrote because it took me that long to be able to put that on paper. Okay. That's, that's interesting. So I, I think maybe that, that would be helpful for me to know that I would have maybe. So I guess <laughs> I was looking for that. And I, yeah, in the beginning, I didn't just, I saw a little bit of it. but And, and I did at the very end. I had to, to bring those poems that I wrote many, many years ago when I started yoga. I did bring them into the book. One, because I wanted to honor that experience that I had and to share that experience as another example of my story, but my story in poetry, but also as an example of what people might try if they wanted to journal about their own life experience they could do in poetry, stream of consciousness, write a novel, whatever it is. But it was just another, hopefully, inspirational example for people, but to also honor where kind of my journey started. So it's all all together in there. <laughs> what what would be one of the main like uh, a couple of the, the takeaways you would like the readers to take away from your book? Well, I definitely want them to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. There's other people that you can connect with. I'm an example of a person who's gone through a healing journey, but I in my book I tell you how to connect with therapists and connect with groups. I, I think it's really important to have a therapist in at all possible someone trained in trauma and assault like like you are so that they have the skills to help that's kind of a foundational piece and then from there just explore you know you people are afraid to kind of get started because they're still maybe tied up a little in the shame and not feeling they're worthy and just to let people know let that shame go it wasn't your fault whatever they told you was a lie so move beyond whatever they told you if you can and commit to helping yourself. 
And imagine how strong you were to get through everything that you've gotten through to this point. You have the strength to put your energy into healing rather than just surviving. And, and as my title, Thriving After Sexual Abuse, that's what I'm trying to share with people. You can not just be a survivor. You can be a thriver. Yeah, no, that's that's really nice and positive. I like that. All right, Denise. Well, uh, well, thanks a lot for joining me here today. I will I'll share share the uh, the recordings with you. And if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to get in touch with me. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate a chance to share with everyone about how they can ins- be inspired. And you can find my book, Thriving After Sexual Abuse, on all the major platforms: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple, Google Play. And you can also find out more about me and my book and my story on my website, thrivingaftersexualabusebook.com. And you can connect with me through there. So if people want to reach out to me, you can go to my website. Thank you. Appreciate it.